This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. You want to see something really scary? You bet. Really? Yeah. Okay, this is this is really, really scary now. I trust you. Okay, pull the car over. Pull the car over? Ooh. Scare me. Are you ready? Okay, go ahead. What are you doing? My wife does that to me all the time, and it's never not frightening. Anyway, everybody, welcome back to a very special episode of 80s Revisited. With me, as always, Mike, or, sorry, hold on, let me step back. I'm your host, Trey Harris. Got too scared. And, yeah, exactly. It affected me more than I thought. I just I just saw that face, and it, ugh. so anyway, I'm Trey Harris, and the zone to my twilight, my producer, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And we're going to have a very special episode because it's going to be a two-parter for a single movie. Uh, we're going to separate the art from the artist as we talk about Twilight Zone, the movie, and the on-set helicopter accident. Uh, the accident, the historical stuff will be next episode. We're just, this was going to be kind of a normal episode just on the movie, you know, the who, what, when, where, our opinions of the movie itself. And then next week, we'll deep dive into the horrific tragedy that occurred on set. So this, this episode is going to be a little happy. Next week's not, so <laughs> also gives you more time to go watch the movie and do your own research if you want to. But anyway, Twilight Zone, the movie, released June 24th, 1983. IMDb gives it a 6.5. Eh, Rotten Tomatoes, 58% critics, 55% audience, so pretty much, you know, either you like it or you hate it, based on these ratios for the most part. Uh, $10 million estimated budget. It opened... 6.6, not a bad opening for the early 80s. However, that was only good enough for number four because still killing it at the box office. Number one for the fifth week in a row, Return of the Jedi. Number uh, two was Superman 3 at its second week in a row. So almost like years previous, you know, to closer to us, a Star Wars movie was number one, followed by a superhero movie. So very mm-hmm. uh, uh, reminiscent of today. Mm-hmm. It would go on to domestically gross $29.4 million on a $10 million estimated budget. So definitely a success. And, you know, no sequels because of what we'll talk about next week. Anyway, directed. Uh, and again, this is a uh, – it's a uh, – oh, I forgot the damn word. Uh, anthology film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's multiple directors. So all the uh, – this section is going to be a lot longer because we're going to – I'm going to subdivide it based on each segment. Uh, but the directors, you got John Landis, Blues Brothers, Three Amigos, Steven Spielberg, Jaws, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Joe Dante, Gremlins, uh, George Miller, Mad Max. Uh, so you, you really do have four, again, separating the art from the artists, very talented mm-hmm. directors at what they do in terms of directing, uh, handling this project. And uh, produce, we don't normally do the producers, but because of... Who's actually responsible and on a film set and stuff that we're going to talk about next week? I did want to mention all the producers by name. John Davison, Michael Fennell, George Falsey Jr., Kathleen Kennedy, John Landis, Frank Marshall, and Steven Spielbergio. Uh, written, now again, I want to divide it by segments. Uh, written uh, The segment one and the prologue, which we listened to, written by John Landis. He also wrote, you know, he writes a lot of his own stuff. Uh, like American Werewolf in London, for example. Uh, George Clayton Johnson and Richard Matheson uh, and Melitha, uh, Melitha, 
Melissa Matheson all wrote segment two. Now, George Clayton Johnson, he, he's, he's written a lot of stuff. He, he wrote Logan's Run. Richard Matheson, I Am Legend, enough said. Very prolific, very respected writer. And Melissa, Ma, I did it again. <laughs> it's the last name, Matheson. Yeah. Melissa Matheson. Matheson. Oh, let me put my dentures back in. That's a tongue, Melissa Matheson. Melissa, Ma, I did it. Golly, that's a, that's a tongue twister for me. I can't, <laughs> literally can't say your name twice in a row. Couldn't say it once either. Melissa earlier. M. <laughs> yeah, M.M., M&M, uh, the screenwriter, not the uh, rapper. But uh, no relation, Richard Matheson and Melissa Matheson are not related. Right. Richard Matheson has an E after M-A-T-H. Melissa Matheson has an I. So I, 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 and I was like looking at this, I'm like they have to be related. And then like, uh, you know, Wikipedia, Google, everything, they're not related, even though that doesn't seem like a very common last name. Uh, but Melissa Matheson also, uh, she helped write E.T. with Spielberg. She, and she was Harrison Ford's first wife, I believe. Uh, she did pass away a few years ago due to breast cancer, I believe, as Richard Matheson as well passed on uh, a while back. Uh, so rest in peace, uh, the former Miss Harrison Ford and the writer of one of the most beloved children's movies of the 80s, E.T. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, those three all together worked on uh, segment two, which is Spielberg's segment. Because Spielberg, you know, wanted all the writers on his, I guess. Uh, and then Richard Matheson by himself wrote segment three and four. Now, all the segments are basically remakes of actual Twilight Zone episodes, with the exception, unfortunately, of John Landis's segment that cost the lives, lives of three people, which we'll talk about next week. Anyway, cinematography, uh, Alan Davio did segment two and four. He was also the cinematographer on E.T. John Hora did segment three. He was also the cinematographer on Gremlins, which makes sense because Bill Berg is segment two. And uh, he has a cinematographer from E.T. John Hora, uh, cinematographer on Gremlins. Joe Dante did segment three. And Stevan Larner uh, did the prologue in segment one. He did Caddyshack, which is John Landis again. Uh, so uh, starring, and again, breaking it down, this is the longest cast list ever because of the... Uh, the different the five segments movies uh basically yeah uh in the prologue you got dan Aykroyd as the passenger of course ghostbusters uh albert brooks is the driver uh strangely enough he was also in drive uh with uh ryan gosling one of the best movies of the last decade i'd say and then you got segment one which is called timeout again an original story however it is loosely based on the twilight zone episode a quality of mercy uh you got the late Arguably great Vic Morrow as Bill. He was in the Bad News Bears. He was in the television show Combat, which really kind of had gave him a lot of uh, credit as an actor. A lot of people speak highly of his character in that show. I've never seen it. It's before my time, I believe. Uh, Charles Hallahan was Ray. Uh, he's a veteran of the podcast. He was, uh, oh, I forget his name, The Thing, but he's the one that uh, has the heart attack and his chest opens up. That's him. Instantly recognizable character actor, very good. Another character actor, Stephen Williams, is the bar patron who takes, rightly so, offense to Vic Morrow's racist ramblings in public. Uh, He was most famously, he's Creighton Duke from Jason Goes to Hell, which is a great character that uh, was completely underused in that movie. And John Larroquette pops up as a Klansman. Of course, John Larroquette from Night Court, the opening of uh, narration of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And everybody's favorite henchman, Al Leong, uh, mm-hmm. As a Viet Cong soldier, of course, die hard, lethal weapon. You know, nobody can hinch quite as good as Al Long can, uh, as according to that meme that pops up every now and then, usually around Christmas when everybody's talking about die hard. Segment two, Spielberg segment is called Kick the Can. That's the same name as the original uh, episode of The Twilight Zone. Stars the late, great Scatman Crothers, who's always enjoyable. Of course, most people know him from The Shining, but in this, he's Mr. Bloom. A different kind of shining in this movie, so to, or this segment, so to speak. Selma Diamond is Mrs. Weinstein. No relation to the uh, Weinsteins. 
but she's another night court veteran. She was the first female bailiff with Bull hmm. before uh, Marsha oh, Marsha Warfield, I think's her name, as Roz came on the show because uh, Selma passed away, and then they brought Roz on. So uh, Bill Quinn is Leo. He was also in The Birds. Hitchcock's so he's a veteran from Hitchcock's time. And Priscilla Pointer is Miss Cox. She was a she's a veteran of the podcast because she was the uh, the nurse that didn't believe those kids having nightmares with that guy with razor fingers in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. Uh, segment three, it's a good life. Again, that's the name of the original one. It's the one you might remember in pop culture from Trias of Horror, where uh, Bart can the kid can like basic is basically God and just can alter reality. He's got the reality gem from Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Uh, can just change reality and do stuff like that. Uh, that one stars Kathleen Quinlan as Helen. Uh, she's been in a ton of stuff, but I always remember for, uh, my fir- thoughts first go back to her as uh, Jim Lovell's wife from Apollo thirteen. Uh, Kevin McCarthy as Uncle Walt. Uh, of course. Most famously, Be- Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original. But I always, every time I see Kevin McCarthy, I go to UHF because he was so great in that movie. Uh, speaking of The Simpsons, actually, Nancy Cartwright is Ethel. She's the most famously the voice of Bart Simpson and a Scientologist. Uh, Dick Miller, one of the second greatest names of, in, of any uh, actor or person working in Hollywood, is Walter. Of course, he was in Gremlins, Gremlins 2, Demon Knight. Uh, if Joe Dante is directing it, he puts Dick Miller in there, much like how John Landis tends to put uh, Frank Oz in his movies as a quote-unquote uh, good luck charm. And then Bill Mooney as Tim. He's from Babylon 5, a uh, great 90s show that I love to death. Uh, but Bill Mooney, I think that's how you pronounce his last name. It's M-U-M-Y, so it's Mummy with one M. Mm. But uh, he was the original kid in the original Twilight Zone episode, It's a Good Life. So nice little uh, correlation there between the two. And the last segment, arguably the most famous, if not also one of the most famous Twilight Zone episodes, Nightmare at 20,000 feet, the remake of the classic William Shatner one, you know, and also the Bugs Bunny cartoon. There's a gremlin on the wing. Mm. So I like the Bugs Bunny cartoon. It's really great. <laughs> it's one of the older ones when he didn't quite look as classic as he did. Like those old Mickey Mike Steamboat Willie. It's like Steamboat Willie era Bugs Bunny. He doesn't quite look like Bugs Bunny just yet. Anyway, John Lithgow, great John Lithgow. We just talked about a couple weeks ago uh, or on Santa Claus, the movie as John, of course, cliffhanger, Harry and the Henderson's. Third Rock from the Sun, great actor. And then a lovely actress, Donna Dixon, is the junior stewardess. Uh, who's Donna Dixon, Trey? I'm glad you asked. She's the dream woman from Wayne's World. So every time I hear the, the song Dreamweaver, the first <laughs> thing I think of is Donna Dixon. Uh, also, she is Mrs. Dan Aykroyd. Mm. Uh, they met before this movie. I think they were maybe dating at the time. They don't really share any scenes together. Uh, but she is, and currently still, to my knowledge, Mrs. Dan Aykroyd. So good job, Dan, bagging the dream woman. Uh, Carol Serling is the passenger. She's the one that like speaks up uh, behind John Lithgow. Uh, that's the wife of Twilight Zone creator Rod Serling in a cameo there. And then uh, rounding out the whole cast, Burgess Meredith uh, does the narration uh, opening the film. Uh, of course, Mick and Rocky, the Penguin and Batman, the uh, 60s show. And a star of four episodes of The Twilight Zone, including one of my favorite and a well-known favorite. It's the one where uh, he's in like the basement of a library and then he comes up and there was a nuclear war basically and everybody's dead. Mm. And now he's got all the time in the world to read all the books he wants to. And what happens? He breaks his glasses and now he can't read any of the books. Mm. So yeah, there's your cast list, an entire freaking page of notes just for the cast. So now uh, Jesse, we talked off air. So I, I have this knowledge going in. You have not seen this movie, correct? I did not watch it. Watch the original Twilight Zone episodes. So yeah. that's my there's there's my glowing review of this movie. Uh, <laughs> now, it, as a movie, this movie is not bad, 
but with the exception of uh well let's break it down the prologue is cheesy as hell uh they could have done a much better job like i think it would have been cool if they were just driving the whole time for example and just like hey because uh in the and if you watch the full prologue they actually say hey remember that show the twilight zone like yeah man it was great like hey do you remember that one where the kid like can make anything happen and then like and then like then do that segment then cut back to the car oh that one was great you know what i really liked this one and then do another one as it is it's just kind of cheesy and they try to tie it in at the very end which uh i mean it works but it's not it's not very twilight zony if that makes any sense because yeah. the, i think what makes the twilight what made the twilight zone great the show and what makes it still great is that you know some of them have a good ending but a lot of them don't and it, or it's just ambiguous it's just like you know it's very o henry with irony uh you know in the movie you know they again uh the john landis segment again separating the art from the artist uh that's it's not a bad story how you know this bigot goes back in time and has to experience you know being an african american being a jew during the holocaust and then uh being a vc soldier in vietnam and then back to nazi germany uh, before you know, spo- again, spoilers because there's not many spoilers in this movie. If you, I mean, there's really nothing to really ruin, so to speak. It's not that good of a movie to begin with. But uh, you know, John Landis say, "Well, it's not bad. Like it's a, uh, it's a little. It's probably honestly his. Actually, they're they they all kind of. Re- here's the good thing about the movie. What I'm trying to say is that each segment does kind of re- is each ep- each segment is Twilight Zony in its own way, but. They're missing, except maybe Joe Dante. The last two segments, last two segments are the, worth the reason watching to watch the movie uh, at all, because those are the good segments. Especially Joe Dante's third segment; it's probably the best one. Um, but you know, the first segment, it's got that like you know this this bigot gets what he deserves kind of ending, a deserved ending, so to speak. So which is very Twilight Zony. Uh, again, separating the art from the artist. Everything else happened behind the camera is fucking disgusting. <laughs> uh, segment two, kick the can. It's a happy ending. It's very Spielbergian. Because, you know, Steven Spielberg once said, like, I'll never make a movie where aliens attack the Earth, you know. And then he made, eventually, finally, War of the Worlds. <laughs> I uh, thought you were going to say Indiana Jones. Uh, well, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the more, The less said about that, attack, but... the better. Yeah. <laughs> they were good, as far as we know, although they totally burned Kate. Oh, I almost said Kate Beckinsale. Uh, Kate Blanchett's head out from the inside, kind of like a reverse <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark attack at the very somebody, end. But, uh <laughs> yeah, you know, so but you know, she was a Nazi. You know, it's it's okay when people die when they're when they when they're Nazis when they're when they're bad. Uh, you know, so so that's when it's okay that you know you, you know that, that I'm making a social commentary here in case you're not saying Nazis are good, not saying that. But you know, when people are bad, it's okay that they're dead. But any other circumstance, it's like, oh no, don't speak ill about the dead. But if they're politically opposed to you, it's totally okay to wish people to die and for them to be dead. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know, you would I would I would rather wish people would not be evil than be dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as it is, we know that that's evil will always exist. So not much else to say about that. Anyway, Spielberg segment kicked the can. Like I said, very Spielbergian. It's a happy ending. It's 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 good. It's, you know, it's it's heartwarming. It's especially the older you get. It's old people playing a game of kick the can and becoming young. And then, you know, Scatman Crothers is great in it. Probably the best performance in the entire movie. Honestly, he's just He's so he's such a pleasure to watch. He's got that that voice. You know, Scott Man Brothers. He's got that voice. Again, I can't imitate it well at all. But you know what I'm saying. He's got you know he's instantly recognizable. He's such you know such like you get the impression that he was like a, I don't know anything about his personal life, 
but you know he's you know even in the shining uh and everything what he's in, everything else he's been in uh, scavenger hunt the 70s movie just a warm you know he just seems like he's he like he seems like he'd be genuine a genuine person and very i think that really shows well in this one he's just so such a pleasant actor to see and unfortunately you know he's he's passed away uh but you know segment two it's 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 boring it's a it's a good story but it's boring thank god it's short uh you know and it's it's again like i said it's spielberg it's not badly done it's just like eh, you know we go from this bigot going to the concentration camp to this happy story of old people being young again and then we go to boom segment three which is my personal favorite joe dante segment it's a good life Again, the boy that can, is God basically can do anything or will anything into existence. Uh, but, you know, Kath- Kathleen Quinlan shows up. Get, or I think she, I think she just breaks down or something. I can't remember how she gets there now. Uh, my bad. But then, like, you know, he has all these powers and he puts Nancy Cartwright into a cartoon, which is ironic because she's the voice of Bart Simpson. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the practical effects in this episode, the visuals, you know, it's Joe Dante. He did Gremlins, man. He's the perfect guy to do this one. This one's entertaining. It really kicks up the entertainment factor of the movie, although you're an hour, roughly an hour into it at this point, you know. Uh, but his segment is absolutely great. Uh, I love it. You know, it's the it's the reason to watch the movie is segment three, in my opinion. Uh, it's just really good. Well done. Nothing bad to say about it. Well acted, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a, a good update to the original, where the original one... Spoiler alert for the Twilight Zone episode. It's a good life. The dude like turns his dad into a jack in the box and the shadows on the wall. Terrifying. The original has a terrifying ending. They do change the ending a bit up in this one. It's a little more happy, but it's very Joe Dante. It's very Gremlins. Your bad stuff happened, but hey, we might be all right, right? Wink. So it works. And then segment four, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. Of course, it's the Gremlin on the wing. The cool thing about this one is uh, second best segment in the thing. John Lithgow is manic and crazy in it, and he's great. Uh, second best performance, I'd say, after uh, Scatman Crothers. Uh, but the gremlin looks all, like all the stuff looking out makes it truly terrifying. In, in the original episode, uh, you know, it's it's a dude in like an ape suit with a troll face. <laughs> it's not not <laughs> scary at all. It's very okay, they did what they could. I think that was actually the first episode of the Twilight Zone, or it's definitely first season. But in this, in George Miller's version of it, it is terrifying. Like if I was in a plane, I really don't like flying. Uh, <laughs> Heights are heights are my kryptonite. I don't like heights. Uh, you know, so if I looked out and saw that on the wing, I would just, I'd probably just go to the door, open it up, and just jump out. <laughs> Fuck it, I'm dead, you know, I don't want to deal with the terror. Just let me fall. Uh, but like all the visual, the visuals. This one has you know, jo- as as Joe Dante has the surreal, his visuals, perfect, his directing style perfectly suited his story. George Miller, the master of vehicle mayhem on screen. Thanks to Mad Max, mainly. I mean, again, go watch Fury Road, one of the best movies ever made, bar none. Best action movie since Terminator 2, in my opinion. Uh, and probably one of my top 10 movies of all time, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, you know, it's he's, he's, he's perfect director for this. He handles it in such a way, like, to where it's it's terrifying. It's visually frightening. You know, it's like, I just, I the only wish I would have had is that it would have been more more tension. To me, it's more horror of, like, we know we know it's on the wing. He knows it's on the wing. Nobody else does. So, you know, it's that like we know it's not like leaving it up to like, does he see something? You know, which I think the tension could have gone a long way. But again, this is a short it's a segment in an anthology. Understandable. I'm not I'm not complaining. I'm nitpicking, but it's great. Uh, so, yeah, his segment, you know, second best one to me. And Jesse, we're watching it right now. That woman, old woman that stood up, that's Rod Serling's wife, mm. Carol Serling. And she's since passed away as well. Rest in peace. Uh, big that. 
uh, center lane is in that plane. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not a movie set plane, you know. But uh, maybe it was a transatlantic flight, so it's bigger. Who knows? Or he's first class. Well, he's, he, well, he might be first class because it's just two seats on each side and then two in the middle. So who knows? I don't know. I don't because I've never flown first class. Cause, right. Uh, never, never had the opportunity or the the monetary reasoning to. But yeah, George Miller segments great. So overall, you got prologue and four segments. Two of the segments, fantastic, worth watching it for. Spielberg's. You know, again, it's not bad. It's just it's the odd one out. You know, the, all the other three are very are much more Twilight Zoney, and Twilight Zone didn't have some good episodes like you know like ah you know episodes like that. Obviously, because this is a remake of one, but it's re- honestly the it's it makes the four films imbalanced. It, uh, the, it makes the the flow of the movie imbalanced because you got Landis's segment first, which I'm sorry if you don't know what happened and you listen to next week's episode and then and, and you watch this movie again, it's the only thing that it, it, it's a shadow that it's it's a it's a shadow that cannot be taken off of it. You know, his first segment is marred forever because it cost the lives of Vic Morrow and two young children, bar none. More on that next week, like I said. Uh, so I can't look at that. You know, trying to even though again, I think I've done a good job of separating the art from the artist, but nevertheless, you know, that 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 segment is is marred permanently. But even just so, it, it does fit. Whereas I don't think it should have been the first one. Uh, honestly, in the with the order, I, I would have put put Spielberg's first to get the boring one out of the way. It's like ah, Spielberg's is you know because Spielberg did his own thing with Amazing Stories later on. I think after this, another anthology film. Uh, where Patrick Swayze become like can heal people after getting electrocuted. <laughs> like I was like, apparently if you're in prison and get electrocuted, like Ernest, you mm-hmm. get a magical power. And Swayze's was to like heal people and stuff like that. But Amazing Stories is much more suited to where Spielberg's segment should have been. Uh, this movie should, or for this one, he should have done a different episode. And he was going to do a, do a different ep- or remake a different episode of The Twilight Zone. But more on that one next week because there's a reason he didn't. And we all know what that reason is. Uh, and if you don't, you can find out next week uh, in quite grisly detail. Mm. Uh, and it'll make you mad. It should make you mad by the time the episode's over about what people got away with because they're fucking rich. But anyway, yeah, so as a whole, <laughs> it's not, again, not bad. Segments three and four are worth watching. It's a slog, the first two. Uh, I mean, the, again, the first one's not bad, but it's, it's the second one really kind of kills any momentum that you had. Uh, because it really slows it down. And again, it's sweet. And then you go from sweet to surreal horror to nightmare fuel in an airplane. So that's what I said. The ride is bumpy. You know, it should have been all, or it's, the ride is uneven. You know, you got this nice little, uh, little bump and then, you know, nothing but trees for 20 minutes. And then, whoa, then the ride starts. So some people might say, oh, that's, that, that's a good flow. To me, it doesn't work. And uh, as a director, Spielberg is not a horror director. Uh, well, and I say that because he, he did Jaws, you know, arguably the greatest film ever made, in my opinion. Uh, you know, but uh, he's never done anything like Jaws since Jaws. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, parts of Indiana Jones. Yes, those are action. You know, he can shoot a, scene, a horrific scene. But Spielberg is not a horror director. Not like John Landis, uh, Joe Dante. And George Miller, honestly, isn't necessarily a horror director, but he's a good director who picked a story from the Twilight Zone that perfectly accented his strengths as a filmmaker. And, you know, and, you know so, oh, Trace, Spielberg is a horror director. Yeah, he did Schindler's List. That's real life horror. I understand that. I'm talking about 
theatrical 80s horror that you see in every segment except his in The Twilight Zone. So bottom line, uh, to avoid repeating myself more than one more final time, it's an uneven ride. Watch segments three and four, and that's all you need to know. So there you go. In the trivia, that's not referencing the onset accident because there is a good bit of that. Uh, in the opening sequence, they actually uh, in the eye because they they basically update the original show's intro. You know, you have the mirror. You're entering a dimension of sound and it breaks of sight and it shows the eyeball. In the eyeball, Rod Serling is reflected in it. So nice, nice little tip of the hat, as they say, to the creator of the Twilight Zone. And of course, in the original episode of Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, William Shatner, Captain Kirk himself, pre-Captain Kirk, before being Captain Kirk, is in fact uh, the star of that one. And at one point was in consideration to reprise his role, which they shouldn't have done, in my opinion. It needs to be like a cameo, much like uh, they did with uh, Bill Moomy in the second one. Uh, He would turn it down due to prior commitments, but ultimately, of course, Lithgow would take the role. And then years later, Lithgow obviously starred in Third Rock from the Sun, which was a huge hit. Also gave us a uh, JGG, Joseph Gordon. Oh, JGL, excuse me. I don't know who JGG is. Uh, <laughs> with uh, in the show, and then he would play the alien Dick Solomon, sent to Earth to observe human behavior with three others. Their boss was the big giant head and was never seen until William Shatner guest starred as his superior on the show. And when he first appears, Lithgow asks him how his trip was, and Shatner answers as the big giant head. Giant head. Uh, it was a horrible flight. There was a man on the wing of the plane and. John Lithgow replies, the same thing happened to me. <laughs> so it's a brilliant little meta joke in there in Third Rock of the, from the Sun uh, nice. when they actually meet referencing this movie. Uh, probably one of the only bright spots about the history of this movie. Uh, and known for his meticulous preparation as well as an actor, John Lithgow, he worked out certain scenes on the airplane in conjunction when the lightning was going to happen. How he wanted, like you know, how he wanted his character to react, except and stuff. But during filming, the crew member in charge, lightning flashes would activate it too soon or too late, throwing off Lithgow's timing. However, it had annoyed him at first. But however, looking back at it, he it, he I saw it worked better for him because that way the anxiousness was even greater because it, the lightning he didn't know when the light he actually didn't know when it was going to happen, and so it, he feels that it really captured that and looked genuinely. Uh, and he looked genuinely startled by the lightning, which he actually was. So it added to the performance, which is pretty cool. In that same segment, again, it's called Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. The plane is traveling at 35,000 feet, according to the announcement the pilot makes in the segment. Uh, the music for segment two and Kick the Can was originally written as a theme for Norman Bates in Psycho 2, which is really weird because it's... Well, I guess it's not weird based on the context of Psycho 2 without spoiling too much of that one if you haven't seen it, which you absolutely should because it's one of the best horror sequels ever made and underrated on top of that. And before the movie became an anthology of four stories, they really originally wanted to do a single story film idea, which I think is a terrible idea because the twilight zone episodes are originally were 30 minutes. And then eventually I think later seasons were hour long. Uh, so you, you know, you got to have some really talented writers and directors to stretch a 30 minute story into an hour long movie. Go look at this, you know, the Adams Family movies, notwithstanding, look, you know, the Beverly Hillbillies, all those ones where they took a 30 minute show and tried to make it an hour and a half movie. So hit or miss, and usually not a good result. One of the stories they were going to make it to a movie, one of the Twilight Zone episodes called Miracle Mile. And eventually in 1988, that story did serve as a basis for an actual movie called Miracle Mile in 88, written by Steve D. Jarnot, which I have never seen, never heard of. Maybe I'll look it up. Maybe I won't. We'll see. Uh, now, if you're a fan of Animal House and the late, great 
uh, John Belushi. There's in John Lannis's segment. There's a clever in joke for Lieutenant Nadermeyer getting murdered or quote fragged by his own troops. That is that's so basically what we see in this in John Landis's segment is actual fate given to Niedermeyer from the ending of National Lampoon's Animal House when they say that they fragged him he got murdered by his own uh platoon in Vietnam so you know I will give a tip of the hat to John Landis on that for referencing his previous movie and of course that was shot before tragedy so uh now Spielberg's segment in as of this year or last year I should say because we're in 2022 now uh, the Spielberg segment is one of the only uh, times that he did not use John Williams. Everything else he's done, use, he used John Williams as his composer, with the exception of this, which is a segment. So I really, you know, I wouldn't even count it. But the only movie, Spielberg movies, that he didn't use Williams for was The Color Purple in 85, Bridge of Spies in 2015, which A, is an excellent movie if you haven't seen it with Tom Hanks. But the soundtrack for that movie is exceptionally good if you like film scores. Highest possible recommendation. Great score for that film. Uh, Ready Player One in 2018 and West Side Story, which just came out last year, obviously, because that has music by, I don't know, Jesse, you might know, the Sod- Sod- uh, Sodenheim do West Side Story. I don't know who did it. I've never seen it. Uh, yeah, I want to see Spielberg's so. version, though. So uh, that, and then um, Actually, in I the, uh, <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> me either. I think, it, I think it's older <laughs> than that. I don't know. Uh, but in, uh, now, I want to give you some homework for next week too, just to kind of give you some background. Uh, but well, anyway, I'll go ahead and say it now. Uh, on Shutter, if you have Shutter, there's a series called Cursed Films, and they talk about the Crow, Poltergeist, uh, The Exorcist, uh, The Omen, and the last film is they talk about Twilight Zone. So if you want to get some good, and I, again, highest possible recommendation, I'm going to give you my compilation of notes and story and time frame, timeline, all that next week. Uh, but a high, highest possible recommendation to watch it if you have Shudder or through any other means you need to to watch that episode on Twilight Zone, the movie. But in that episode, the production designer, Richard Sawyer, who has heartbreaking recollections of that set, uh, says that when they they used to give you uh, even more of a pregame, so to speak, of Landis's disregard for safety, uh, real bullets were used in the guns of the American soldiers in the Vietnam sequence where Vic Morrow is pulled out of the way right at the last second and they shoot up where he was standing. So, you know, karma's a bitch. Uh, unfortunately, it affected the wrong people in the case of Twilight Zone, the movie. And then these next four pages are all about the helicopter accident, which we'll talk about next week. So, rounding it out, uh, I'm going to break this down by segment. Uh, segment one, the Vic Morrow segment, again, as a episode of the Twilight Zone, you know, look at these as modern, a modern episode of the Twilight Zone or an 80s episode of the Twilight Zone. For me, it's a five. It's not bad. Of course, it ends. Now, the ending of it, I'll get more into, is actually the original ending for it. But, you know, it, again, it's, it's, there's a shadow over it that you can't take away. But as a story, it's not bad. I give it a five. Spielberg's, the story, again, it isn't bad. It's, it's good. It's heartwarming. It doesn't belong in this anthology with these other three segments. But it's well acted. It's, you know, none of them are, are badly done, except with actor safety concerns. Uh, so Spielberg's segment, I give a five. And then Dante's segment three, the best one in my opinion, I give it an eight. It's great. It's it's a lot of fun. And then George Miller's segment, I give it a seven. And the only reason I, I wouldn't give it an eight quite as high as Dante's is just because, like I said, it's, 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 it's done so well. They almost could have made it. I actually wanted more of it, but more of it to where it was like that. I wish it had a little more tension to it. Because, you know, it's already, it's not like Jaws. I mean, well, we know it's a shark in Jaws, but it's not like, you know, the thing where you don't know who's the thing. We know there's a gremlin on the wing from the get-go. 
Uh, so uh, I just wish it would have been a little more expanded. His was the only one I didn't want to end. I think Dante's paced his perfectly with George Miller's. I, his could have gone another 10 minutes and I'd have been on board for it. It was, it was really, it's really exciting. And again, terrifying to me because I don't like flying. <laughs> so, but as a whole, you know, as you know, I think IMDb gave it like a six, hold on, let me scroll up 10 pages of notes here. 6.5. Uh, IMDb gave it a 6.5, Rotten Tomatoes, 58% critics. As a whole, you know, I'd say a six. I mean, it's, did we need it? No. Was it a cool experiment? Yes. Did it need to cost the lives of two an adult and two children? Absolutely not. Uh, so, you know, if it never existed, I, nobody nobody would miss it. Except, you know, people that like the fact that people died doing it. Crazy people. Anyway, in the real world, this released June 24th, 1983. Uh, just uh, five days previous, Don Blue's Dragon Lair's arcade game is released and sucked up a lot of quarters for me back in the day, mainly because it's just like it was because it was like watching a cartoon. You know, it literally, it was like a quick yeah. time event game. You know, really not a good game, but visually, you're like, wow, this is it's a cartoon. I'm playing the cartoon. It's just a choose your own adventure that requires good reflexes. Terrible game, but iconic at the same time. So, you know, the the quote unquote death scenes are great, but uh, <laughs> you know, well, you know, it's Don Blue. This great animation. It's cool, but as a game, you know, they don't make them like this anymore for a reason. Sega CD was the heyday for this crap with stuff like Sewer Shark and uh, Road. I think, what was it called? There was a, ro- a driving one that was literally just Dragon's Lair with driving. You know, cool for the time because you had FMV, uh, you know, 480i FMV <laughs> at the time. Uh, you know, so. But nevertheless, it's a, st- it's a time stamp of, you know, and a very important part of video game history. So, you know, it's worth mentioning. Now, Back to the Future, I saw a couple of things, actually more than a couple, several movies I'd like to talk about. Uh, The first being, I finally caught up on one that I meant to watch before Christmas, uh, a new uh, direct VOD, as most videos are now, uh, called Black Friday, starring the great, great Bruce Campbell, and it was pretty meh. Is it worth watching once? Absolutely for Bruce. After that, skip it. Uh, And then, uh, speaking of uh, picking it up a notch, I did get to uh, finally check out The French Dispatch by... uh, Paul Paul Thomas Anderson, PT Anderson. I think that mm-hmm. uh, not the one that did Mortal Kombat, but the uh, the you know Moonrise Kingdom, uh, Life Aquatic. Paul Thomas Anderson, right? Yeah. Okay, just making sure because <laughs> the, the other guy that did Mortal Kombat and all the Resident Evil movies is Paul. I think just Paul Anderson, and there's Paul Thomas Anderson, and I yeah. definitely don't want to give credit to the director of Resident Evil. <laughs> but yeah, uh, French Dispatch. It's if if you like his movies, you will like it. It's great, amazing cast, uh, very well done. How it's done, the the pacing. You know, it's uh, you know I like Paul Thomas. Like the only movie his I really don't like is Life Aquatic, yeah, and that's simply Anderson, because. Though. Oh, whoa, whoops, my bad. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I was way off. So all of you screaming at me in your car, or whatever. <laughs> Big mistake. What did Paul Paul Thomas Anderson? What did he do? Like, why am I getting these confused? His most recent release is that um, one he did with Licorice Pizza. It's a uh, oh that yeah. I want to see that. Okay. Yeah, I want to see that too. Anyway, I'm old, so yeah, Wes Anderson. <laughs> see, it's, it's the Anderson. There's too many Andersons. So it's Wes Anderson. Sorry, Jesus Christ. Sorry, Wes. Supporter <laughs> of the podcast, by the way. Uh, wink, wink. Well, this <laughs> is anyway. news to me though, because I didn't even know Wes Anderson had a new film. So. Yeah, well, I remember seeing. A, I remember like seeing like stuff about it, like just popping up on like Facebook, like oh, his new film they got, you know, it's being released soon. Blah blah blah. Mm. Uh, you know, he's, but he's a very niche director, I'd say. You know, uh, 
Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, I love his style. I think uh, Isle of Dogs, yeah, which is amazing. If you haven't seen Isle of Dogs it's, and Fantastic Mr. Fox, they're two of the best. Uh, I think two of his best movies, to be honest with you, uh, personally. But uh, the uh, French Dispatch, it's great. Uh, the way, he's a. I love how he tells stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of Life Aquatic, that's the only film. Is it a bad movie? No, that ending is amazing. But it, that's the only one that's just like this one's kind of long to me. Uh, but nevertheless, I do like all of his movies. Period. Great director, great writer. Uh, very much worth seeing. Is it one of the best of the year? Uh, I'll tell you my top ten next week to lighten the mood after. We talk about horrible onset accidents. And the other movie I saw, well, I did see I did see Ghostbusters. It just came out. We're going to talk about that one next week because Jesse hasn't seen it. And I want to I want to actually talk about it. So everybody, if you want to hear my opinion on Ghostbusters Afterlife, you got another week to mm-hmm. watch it. It's out. Watch it. I should have seen it at the theater. It's amazing. Uh, but more detail on that next time. But I did see another film that has been critically lauded, but is a piece of shit. And that's The Last Duel. Sir Ridley Scott. Hmm. 80s Ridley Scott. God damn, bro. Legend, Blade Runner, 70s, you had Alien. You know, he, he, he was one of the greatest directors. He was my favorite director for the longest time. But all of his modern stuff is just like paycheck. You, like the dude just is just getting a paycheck here. Uh, last duel, I was excited about the cast. I mean, honestly, well, I was excited Adam Driver because he's the, he's the breakout star from the prequel trilogy, even though he was making, or sequel trilogy, excuse me, even though he was making movies long before that. Uh, but he's the one that you see in everything now. Him and Oscar Isaac, obviously, uh, are the ones that are the Harrison Fords of the, uh, so to speak, to give a comparison uh, to the, the OG Star Wars trilogy. But anyway, Last Duel, the, the, the fight scenes are awesome. Braveheart-esque levels of violence. All that, every time there's a fight scene, it's great. Problem is, it's two hours and 30 minutes and it's a type of movie that should have been a email and not a meeting, if you get my drift. Mm. Uh, and also, Matt Damon. I don't understand why Matt Damon is like one of the most profitable, bankable actors out there. Like, is he a bad actor? No. But is he a great actor? To me, not really. I just don't get Matt Damon. <laughs> and I'm watching this movie. I'm like, he seems out of place in this because it's just like Matt Damon with a mullet and, you know, trying to be Josh Brolin. It seems like Josh Brolin should have been this role. Uh, no shade, no no shade to Matt Damon. I know a lot of people like him. I'm just not a, you know, I don't go see a movie for Matt Damon. He's funnier when he pops up in Thor or you know Team America. So to speak. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ben Affleck's in this, looking like Eminem with a goatee, looking. They both have writer spiky. credits too. Yeah. Huh. No, uh, you know, I, and I, I love movies like this, like historical drama like that. You know, much like Braveheart, Gladiator. You take it with a grain of salt, but this movie. If it was shorter, it would have. I would have probably had a much better thought, uh, feelings on it. It does something interesting, and I'm going to spoil it here because I, I don't recommend it unless you, you know, I want to see it. You're a really Scott fan, you want to see a really Scott movie. Now, again, it's worth seeing for the battle scenes. That's it. Uh, but they break it up because basically, Matt Damon's wife, the girl from Free Free Guy, I forget her real name. Uh, she's but she's uh, Jody something, Jody Com- Comer or so- Comer. I can't remember her last her um, last name. Jody, yeah, Jody something. Comer, Comer, M-E-R. I'm not sure how she pronounces it, but uh, yeah, she's looking a lot of stuff now. Uh, she's really up and coming. She's a fantastic actress, by the way. Uh, but basically, she claims that Adam Driver rapes her, and then 
they tell the story. It starts off like you know, Tarantino-esque almost. Chapter one, Matt Damon's point of view. Chapter two, Adam Driver's point of view. And then finally, her point of view, the truth. And, uh, you know, instead of – there's no doubt that he fucking rapes the girl. <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt. Even in his, like, in his point of view, it's just like she's saying no. She says no, and he does not listen to consent. That's rape. So there's no like, wow, maybe he was telling the truth. There's no doubt. So it's not like it's surprising or anything like that. Like there's no, oh my God, he, he you know, we should have believed her. There's nothing like that, at least in, now I'm a white cis male viewing this movie. If, you know, there are such things as different perspectives that might get, you know, might take it completely opposite how I took it. I'm looking at it as a film and how it was structured and told. That's all where I'm coming out with my point of view. You know, I'm not saying like oh this you know, maybe it's realistic in its portrayal that i thankfully don't know that i'm ignorant on that so just cover my bases here uh so we have to deal with two and a half hours of like seeing you know the same story albeit five minutes of different different perspective thrown in is it five minutes i'm exaggerating don't come at me say oh it's actually 30 minutes i don't care there's not enough there to like to, to rehash so much of the movie that doesn't change anything to me, here's how I'd have done it, Sir Ridley. Show the whole duel thing at the beginning and who wins and dies. Spoiler alert, Adam Driver gets a fucking knife through his mouth. And it's bad, like the duel is badass. But you have to sit through two hours and 30 minutes of the same story told three times with just a little supplemental information until her story where they, you know, they tell you the truth. And it's, you know, it's uncomfortable watching somebody get raped, even on screen. It doesn't matter. It's not a pleasant thing to watch. Um, so they should have showed the whole duel. So you know that Matt Damon fucking kills Kylo Ren. And then, and then show the perspective. So the whole time, you're then what, like, okay. But but the thing is, Matt Damon's just show shows him, his perspective shows you know, husband like angry. You know, he portrays himself in a good light, although he's a horrible husband. And a oh, and and I hate to say this, but in that time in France, that's how kind of things were for men. Is it right today? Absolutely not. But nevertheless, you know, got got to keep it in historical context. And wow. Just, Yes, I guess the whole movie's on YouTube, so you can just watch the duel on YouTube. <laughs> the actual duel part on YouTube, and you're good. Uh, then just Wikipedia, the actual historical story. Um, but yeah, anyway, so Matt Damon, like, his story is just like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, your wife got raped. You actually should be pissed off and do whatever you can do about it. Adam Driver's is just like basically the same thing as Matt Damon's for the most part, except like, oh, I love you. I'm, do I'm doing it. She's saying no, but like now – the one thing they do in his story is, is she's she's not like, no, don't do this. She's just like, no, don't. You know, to where some some bro would be like, oh, she was just like teasing. She really meant yes. It doesn't matter if they're teasing or not. No is no. I don't care how they say it. If they say no and wink, still don't do it. Because <laughs> you don't know for sure. Be it be safe, respect, consent. Anyway, so Adam, you know, Adam Driver's story is just like, yeah, she said no, but, you know, she really didn't say no, which, again, makes you want him dead to begin. Like, I hope Matt Damon kills this dude because he actually did rape her. And then her story, yes, it proves he actually did rape her. And it was a little more – it was quite more brutal than how he tells it in his segment. Uh, and then also her segment shows that Matt Damon is an asshole to her, you know, because it's all about honor and pride and all this, you know. Uh so it's a very uh, unbalanced movie. I th 
again, I don't understand. You have a budget. You have money, millions of dollars. You don't need to make a movie two and a half hours long if you don't need to. I don't understand it. You know, let's make it a TV show on Netflix, 10 episodes when they could have been six. It, I would, I want six really good episodes rather than uh, 10 episodes where half of them are, are good and the other ones are just filler. Spend your money on like good shit. I mean, seriously. Now, of course, it's not, it's not like, you know, Breaking Bad or The Walking Dead when it was actually airing, you know, on TV to where like we need 24 episodes for that revenue money. And if you don't think this is a what I'm saying is not a good idea, watch the last season of Breaking Bad. Every episode after Hank realizes who Walter White is or WW is is just filler to get to the last two episodes. And the, the show just drops off a cliff with quality to me at that to give you an example. So like, but you know what? No, they had to have that many episodes for those ad money, buddy. It's the final season mm-hmm. of Breaking Bad. You know how many millions they made off that just on the advertising revenue? That's why. Movies, you know. I like when I when I sit down after putting my daughter to bed every night, and I look at the movies I want to watch. Uh, unless it's something big, like uh, like when I saw Ghostbusters was available on demand, um, I didn't care how long it was. Immediately clicked, wanted to watch it. But, you know, Last Duel, the new James Bond movie. I see like two hours and forty three minutes. I look at my clock; it's eight thirty. I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> I go find an hour and a half movie like Black Friday or something to watch in the meantime. Uh, you know, so. Again, these movies, thats I think that's a big, one of the biggest problems today. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home is over two hours, but I was never t- bored or you know, not wanting to pay attention during that movie. Uh, so I just don't understand. Uh, you, you got all this money that you're spending. you know, Turn in a good hour, a solid hour and a half movie that's amazing instead of a two-hour and 30-minute movie that's slogs. You know? So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I watched, Jesse. <laughs> so, uh, uh, what have you seen in the meantime as well? Anything new? I don't know if Any I mentioned this last time. Uh, I watched Don't Look Up. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, it's worth watching. Uh, you know, it's Adam McKay. Um, mm-hmm. Great cast. Um, I really like the writing in this. The writing was really good. And Awesome. Uh, yeah, I won't spoil anything, but the, the comedy is there. Um, oh, good. And, you know, if... <laughs> you'll see so many similarities to all the crap that's going on right now. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> this movie's either going to piss a lot of people off or make people laugh. That's pretty much, I think you're on the make people laugh side of it. I uh, hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know what it's about. So I really hope I'm on the, the laugh side. Cause I mean, like you said, I mean, I, I assure you based on political demographics in this country, right. half the people that watch it are not, are absolutely not going to like it. And the other half are going to think it's hilarious. So exactly. Not even seeing it. I a hundred percent agree with you on that. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, definitely worth a watch. Um, has a excellent running joke that goes through the whole thing. That's still in my head. So, Oh, is it, I did see something like there's an after credit scene too that I heard like people were like yeah, online. That, I was like, make sure you watch too. it after the credit. Like, is that like all? Is that like part of this big joke? Like overall joke or is that? Uh, just it's like- not part of the overall joke. It is a. Uh, it's like a side on. That's not a, on. That's a what is it called? Uh, when they look back, uh, callback joke. Mm, okay, gotcha. And, and it's yeah. I saw like a separate uh, Facebook thing, like oh, the the last joke and don't look up might be the best one. Like oh, okay, well I didn't I didn't click the article because I, I haven't seen the watch the movie yet. I, I mean, just, it's uh, a good joke, talking. but the running joke just just keeps you going throughout the movie. Like, why are they still talking about this? <laughs> but it's, gotcha. it's hilarious. 
Awesome. What's the running t- time on that one? <laughs> two uh, hours? Two hours, 18 minutes. Uh, 7.3 uh, on IMDb. Yeah, but the one, the one awesome thing about digital is, and of course, I mean, it was like that with VHS and a good DVD player. You know, you can watch part of it and stop it and pick it right back up on Netflix. So yeah. anything else? Uh, no, that's all. I think that's all I've watched. Uh, I did finish uh, the new season of Sunny. Uh, yes, I did. You too. Watched, I did uh, too. So, spoiler alert! If you if you think that's a spoiling show, I think there are certain aspects of the show that are spoil that you can quote spoil. But dude, that last episode with Charlie right. and his dad—he got when, his moment you know, to uh, do some acting. Yeah, that was it. Like <laughs> Mac had his moment in the season before last with the uh, yeah the, the dance, dance number, which is still my favorite episode of the the show. That 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 episode still makes me tear up. It's so beautiful. Yeah, that's but then Melissa's Charlie Day too. like. Now, I have publicly said that he plays the same character and everything, which he does mm-hmm. 99% of the time. But, dude, stop doing that because you have some <laughs> acting chops. Because when he's sitting there crying about his dad, about how he's having to carry him and he never yeah, carried yeah. him, that was like, I'm just like, God damn it, man. Like, for, you know, these characters are despicable characters, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> they're, they're horrible people. But Charlie's good hearted. You know, he's, he's, he's stupid. Right. He's the sweetest he, of the know, bunch. He, yeah, exactly. He still does things like most of the time, like to be, to be a good person. D and uh, Dennis are not sweet people. <laughs> and Mac is too quote unquote smart for his own good uh, about everything, you know? So, but you know, Mac had his moment, uh beautiful moment. Charlie's had his, I'm hoping, you know, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they should leave Dennis as a scumbag. Cause I don't see how you could do anything. He's going to have a dark uh, redeem, <laughs> to redeem Dennis. And like, except uh, they just need to prove that he's the strangler from a few right. seasons back, whatever <laughs> the serial killer. Uh, cause they kind of totally dropped that plot line after a while. Like, cause even I think there's one episode like seasons after that, where Charles like, you know, are you sure you're not that, that, that killer? So they, they did call it back. And I kept thinking they want to go that way. Cause he was doing, you know, he was doing all the other stuff. He was an AP bio and all that other, <laughs> Yeah. Stuff and then D had her other show too for a while. There. I'm not sure if it's still out or whatever. So, but thankfully they're all still there. And oh my god, like <laughs> yeah, I rewatched like yeah. the whole Ireland thing. It's four episodes and it plays like a movie. So yeah, it's really, yeah, it's I, really I had good. to rewatch that all. So, but um, the the grossest thing I've ever seen was the soup. <laughs> yeah. He's like, won't won't you? Don't don't eat that soup. He knows his tricks. Frank, <laughs> eat one of those meatballs. And then I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm just like, go. Oh. And then like he goes so far with it. It's just like it's not ball oh shaped. My. It is turned. I know. Shaped. It's it's so gross. It's so. <laughs> but I mean, it's it. You know, toilet humor is toilet humor. Right. But toilet humor done well is genius. <laughs> and that show does disgusting humor at a level of class that is unparalleled. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just, Oh my, I'm watching. It's like, uh, you know, Austin powers. Like it's is shit. Austin. And he's like, Oh, it's a bit nutty. That's so that, okay. Yeah. That's, you know, ha, that's low hanging. That is low, low hanging for, you mm-hmm. know, that's of course it was it gross. Yeah. But it was, you know, it's dumb. But yeah. this one, you're just like, oh, oh, Frank, oh, Frank, oh my God. They made it part of Frank's character to do that. Exactly. So it just works. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it shouldn't work. You know, like, you know, even if you were Frank, you wouldn't do that. But actually, no, Frank would go that far. <laughs> and then the call, and then later the last episode with the piss. Oh, I'm sorry, Charlie. Here, drink some water. Yeah. It's like, oh, I got my canteens mixed up here. This was that one's pissed too oh i guess i forgot what i forgot it's just like 
it, you know, it, it, it pulls your heart, pulls your heartstrings, pulls your heart out. Mm-hmm. And then it just shoves it right up your ass with right afterwards. It's so good. So uh, they shot that whole thing in California. Really? They did not ever go to Ireland. They tried, but you know, cause of COVID they couldn't. So everything was shot in California. Because definitely the mountain stuff, you could see like this kind of the CGS ness of like where they were real, and then you know. The, oh yeah, yeah. The, when he's standing in front of like the yeah. old buildings, you could see that it was just a green screen, like on the phone. Oh call. really? Yeah. Well, oh okay. I'll yeah. check that out again. Yeah. Oh yeah. On the rewatch, it's really, really apparent. Like it's like, why does that look strange that he's standing in front of this building? Oh, because it's all green screen. <laughs> it would also explain too how like when they're driving, how like oh, they're on the wrong side of the road here. But they they technically weren't so yeah <laughs> they're filming here so I guess you know for filming too that probably worked out for like safety permits or yeah, it was probably whatever. just like one back back lot street that yeah, they used true. or something that's yeah true. it's all filmed here uh, speaking of CG the monkey episode uh, oh. that was a good CG monkey <laughs> yeah it, it, I was I, I was it was one of those things where I'm staring at it like is that real you know. At some parts, obviously, you know it's CG. Like, oh, absolutely. Like a real monkey. You know, All but it, like, I'm like, <laughs> but... I'm like, wait, the whole, the entire monkey was CG? Like, 100%? Uh, I think so, yeah. Okay, Pat, completely. damn. That must be what the people from Life of Pi are doing now. Because <laughs> that, like, because, you know, it comes on, it goes to the bar, it stands by the drink, then when it pours the drink, it's like, oh, that's like, you know, they probably just CG'd the arm or whatever. I thought it was a real monkey, like, 99% of the time. So I guess that's where the budget went. Said, hey, what if they go to Ireland? We can get a really good CG monkey. Yeah. But Melissa and I still quote, "Thank you, monkey. Thank you, monkey." That's <laughs> <laughs> just a funny throw. That's such like a Looney Tunes episode too. Like, yeah, it monkey. is. <laughs> that's great. Thank you, monkey. Yeah, that's like, you know, like Seinfeld. I love Seinfeld, but I mean, it quality tapers off at the end dramatically. Mm-hmm. To me, uh, this show. The show only gets better. I think they treated it like a job so much in Seinfeld that they were just ready to leave. And Mm -hmm. I've been listening to the Always Sunny podcast that just started up. And they're going back through all the episodes. But on top of that, they have tangents as well where they just talk about whatever. And you can still tell they actually talk about why they still do the show. And it's just because they have Mm -hmm. such a good time doing it. And And um, it's it's they do like the cast does it or is it like a fan thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the three of them. Uh, Glenn, oh, uh, Charlie, subscribing right now. <laughs> yeah, it's excellent. It's like number two in uh, on iTunes right now. It's really good, and they're like forty minute episodes. So I mean, yeah, it's excellent. Highly recommend. That's that's where awesome. a lot of my time's been going. <laughs> nice. And and again, if you if you're not watching Sunny, if you haven't start from number one, you have. So, I envy you mm-hmm. for the amount of hilarity and enjoyment that you are about to get. From that show and hopefully by the time you get to what we just talked about if you listen to it because you don't watch the show you've forgotten everything we already said and <laughs> it'll be great so yeah and uh, anyway since the podcast's out it like after you watch an episode you can listen to the podcast to hear their thoughts about it it's like there 20 years old but they also talk about that <laughs> they're like man we've been through four presidents since we started this show <laughs> that show is so old i had the first four seasons on dvd <laughs> yeah. that's how old that show is so <laughs> yeah, but it's still still amazing. So, all right, that does it for actually talking about the movie of Twilight Zone or mm-hmm. Twilight Zone, the movie Twilight Zone, the movie. Next week we'll be back talking about the real life events that happened off camera that everybody should know about because we're still dealing with onset accidents 
today as we, you know, on the uh, with Alec Baldwin on the set of Rust. So yeah, we'll talk about all that drama, real life drama next week in a very special episode of 80s Revisited. You know, you have, you have all the fun ones after school specials and then like on a very special episode of Punky Brewster. <laughs> hey, Punky, you want to try crack? This is next week's going to be our very special episode. It's our crack episode. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so don't forget. Let us know what you think. 80s Revisited at gmail.com on Facebook. 80s Revisited podcast on Instagram. 80s underscore revisited. I did try changing that, taking out the underscore. Somebody fucking took it already. So if you're that person, <laughs> give it back. Uh, and also check out our friends, uh, John from Lafayette, Cajun Toy Review. And of course, the BAMcast with Ben and old Doom Slayer. Check mm. him out. TCW. Got your shirt, Doom Slayer. Haven't worn it yet because I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> uh, so, But believe me, once I'm out in the wild wearing the Doom Slayer shirt, I'm going to hashtag Doom Slayer some pics at Target or wherever the hell I happen to be. But until next week, everybody, stay safe. Get your stick in the arm. I don't care if you're for it against it. I know it's a free country, blah, blah, blah. Come on. I'm ready to get back. I'm, I'm ready to get back to normal now. Mm-hmm. So do what you got to do. Take care of yourself. Make important decisions informed by science and not politics and be safe. So until then, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! This show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods. Pods.